Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 52. A slow boat to nowhere. Welcome to February, everybody. January was, as all months are, busy. And here we are in February. I've got a... I got to play more games than I expected in January, and I've had fun with the, a couple of the new ones I've got. I haven't got to try them all, but I am talking about one of them today. Um, did you guess which it was? SOS Titanic. But before we get into that, there's a few other things. Let me start with the news. Okay, uh, February is Co-op Games Month on the Broken Meeple blog slash podcast. I haven't watched it yet, but I came across the news, and um, the host is going to be... Looking at cooperative games, not specifically for solitaire, and I'm guessing not at all for solitaire actually, but since most of these do work for solitaire, it might be interesting to, to anybody listening to this show. And that was uh, The Broken Meeple. I'll make sure to include links for that. Next up, The Hunters, which came out, was it in December, just two months ago, has sold out officially. Reprint is planned already, and it's on the P500 on GMT's website. The, the new edition does include a few extra items, so if you missed out, you know, it might be worth the wait. I believe that most of the things are basically updated quality or just updated and a couple extra dies, but I don't think it's really any change on the rules. I'm not too clear on that. You want to check out GMT's page. Another reprint, the next item, Onirum, the second edition will be coming out in 2014 at some point. I don't know when. It, the new edition has four exp- four more expansions for a total of seven expansions. Uh, therefore, it is a much bigger box. I don't know the size. I'm you know I'm looking at a picture in BGG. It's a square box. Most of the cards look the same, but in the back of the pic- in the back of the box, you can see a few more cards. So the original edition has 109 cards. The expansion has 117. Now those four expansions are apparently just made out of eight cards. The new edition has eight cards more than the original. The posting uh, on BGG about it, which is actually from uh, the BGG News, mentions that there's a few other games that are going to be published. It doesn't give any details about them at all, but I have mentioned them in the past. I, well, I assume I have. The If you search BGG for the designer Shady Torbe and click on him, you'll see that he's got like about five games listed, most of which are still unpublished and seem to be part of the same universe. Finally, uh, I'd forgotten to mention it before, but I just want to say thank you. I did receive two donations from listeners in December. So thank you, Mikolaj and Kiwood. I really appreciate that. Um, okay, let's jump into the next segment, which is solitaire gaming in January. First of all, January is interesting just because it was the most gaming month yet. We had 348 plays. That's more than a hundred more than any previous month, actually. So, so it's quite a quite a big jump, quite a big, well, quite a surprisingly big jump. So, first of all, there were about 180 unique games played. Quite a few games were played more than once. You know, a full 62 games were 61 games were played, at least two times each. So, January continues to be interesting. So let's just jump straight to 5th place. So for 5th place we had 2 games, Friday and Snowdonia. In 4th place we have Pathfinder Adventure Card Game and The Lord of the Rings The Card Game. It's not a surprise. I know if we include the Pathfinder expansions that number will go a little bit higher. But we'll leave it that way this time. 3rd uh, place, we, uh, interesting, is Rallyman. Maybe because of a Rallyman tournament that's going on now. 
And second place is Robinson Crusoe. Apparently, that game is finally available in enough numbers that people are actually playing it. I did just get it recently myself, too, and I have been playing it, and I look forward to talking about it hopefully in the next show. Um, it is a, a nice-looking, fun-to-play game. And finally, number one, up from second place, is The Hunters. I was surprised to see Eldritch Horror didn't make such a big splash this month. The, it would have, because it was a sixth place, so it was quite close to getting mentioned. Okay, so next up, I'm going to do something that's a little bit different. I've been thinking, if there's a solitaire school, what games would be worth talking about? What what games are unique or interesting enough that they're worth mentioning? Um, so trying to think in that vein, I end up actually making up a story uh, from gaming school in the future. I think it accomplished what I was starting out to do. Um, so let's jump into that. Hello, class. I uh, trust you had a good week. Now, in contrast to last week's subject matter, today we are going to look at pivotal solitaire games of the early 21st century. Specifically, we are looking at the first 15 years of that century. Now, as you know, that period of our history was very well documented. It is worth noting that in that time, there was a resurgence of solitaire gaming which started right around the new millennium. I would like to look at a few games that were important at that time, but for one reason or another. Now, this period is sometimes called the Silver Age of board games. Now, this term used to be used seriously for a while, as this period was considered a plateau of innovation and design. The name was inspired from the Silver Age of comic books, which happened in the prior century. Ironically, the uh, term Silver Age became obsolete when the value of most rare metals plummeted thanks to the discovery of adamantium, which was uh, first made famous in the Silver Age comic books. Uh, but I digress here. The most important thing to keep in mind is that uh, at this time, and for years to come, this period was highly prolific and innovative in board gaming. Let's look at the games in a more or less chronological order, starting with the Lord of the Rings, designed by Reiner Knizia. Knizia was an extremely prolific designer of the period. His games varied widely in complexity, style, and theme. One notable game is The Lord of the Rings, based on the book by J.R.R. Tolkien. This game wasn't the first cooperative game designed, but it did presage a large number and variety of cooperative games. This game was seen as unique at the time and was therefore a commercial success. Being associated with such a famous literary work did not hurt. Being associated with such a famous literary work at the time of a major motion picture on the same subject helped immensely. After Lord of the Rings, no game stood out as significant, not for a few years, though there were quite a few interesting and likely fun games released. None of them really offered anything new or innovative until Race for the Galaxy came out. Well, that isn't entirely accurate. This game was released as a multiplayer game in 2007. A year later, a new expansion, The Gathering Storm, was released, which included solitaire play. This was managed by the use of a robot. This robot followed certain predetermined strategies based on his starting position. The robot didn't play exactly like a player, but simulated a lot of the effect of playing against a human opponent. After 
other games started using robots, sometimes called AIs, but really uh, just a set of programmed actions which allowed solitaire play. Now, in 2008, Pandemic was released. This is to, yeah, it is believed that Nitya's Lord of the Ring made this game possible, and Pandemic made the cooperative genre possible. Its innovation was mainly in design and style of play, but it didn't bring anything truly new to the solitaire gamer. However, the popularity of this game inspired many other designers to create cooperative games, and because of that, this game is considered important. Of course, all of these games were published by small, independent design houses. Victory Point Games was one of the very smallest. They specialized in publishing uh, high-quality print-on-demand games. The game, it is really independence, was one of their earlier designs. It used an innovative design in which a player defended against oncoming enemies. It offered a high-tension experience in which the players always felt as if it was about to lose at any moment. The game was successful, and many of the games using the same mechanism dubbed uh, State of Siege were published. Most of the games were based on military conflicts, but uh, other games based on fantasy, horror, that sort of thing were released. Other companies used very similar mechanisms for games on subjects such as uh, Norse mythology, uh, a fantasy castle siege, a zombie apocalypse, the list goes on. A few years later, another important game based on The Lord of the Rings was released. That was the Lord of the Rings Living Card Game. The game was similar to a collectible card game in gameplay and deck building, but the cards were not released with artificial rarities. Many people that had been turned off to CCGs bought into the game because of this. However, the game was still very collectible in the sense that, that many people with compulsive personalities still felt obliged to buy each released expansion. This game was designed for one player or multiple players, working cooperatively, and it was quite successful for a number of years. After the success of this game, even Wizards of the Coast released a solo co-op deck for Magic the Gathering, no doubt inspired by uh, The Lord of the Rings. Now, Oniram was a game with an unusual theme of dreams and nightmares. It was not as universally known as other games, but it had such a simple and elegant design that it was very popular with many players. It led to brief, trending, compact, easy-to-learn, easy-to-play games. Some argue that because of Oniram's success, Solitaire Gaming caught the eye of the noted designer Friedman, Friedman Fries. If you recall, the early 21st century was when the mechanic of deck building came into vogue. Fries was looking to do something unique with his mechanic, and at that point it was strictly being used in uh, multiplayer games. Having seen the success of Oniram, Fries was inspired to apply deck building in a novel way, to a solitaire game. He designed the game Freytag, or Friday, based on the myth of Robinson Crusoe. In turn, the next few years actually saw no less than two other games themed around Robinson Crusoe and also supporting solitaire play, amazingly. Then, of course, in the summer of 2015, something pivotal happened. I am, of course, talking about the... Oh... Before you go, I'd like to remind you that our break will begin in a few weeks, and a few of you still owe me some of your essays on balancing asymmetrical games against unevenly matched opponents. So today's game is SOS Titanic. It is a game by uh, Bruno Cathala and Ludovic Maublanc. It was released late last year. It was first. It was first available at Essen. It just recently arrived in the U.S. last month. This game is, well, basically it is 
solitaire as in the card game that you'd find on a Windows computer or pretty much just about anywhere. You're trying to get the cards arranged in numeric order from one up to the highest card and place them above the plane area. Should be a pretty familiar game to just about anybody. Probably one of the, you know, very possibly one of the oldest solitaire games ever. So the difference between this game and that is mainly the theme, but also, well, there's also some ver variances with the mechanics and how the game works. The game comes packed in a real nice little box. Uh, I like it. You know, every time I look at the box, I, the box run, I think it's Microsoft Clipart, but I really like the way it looks nonetheless. Inside what you get is a, a bunch of cards, a rule book, and a booklet to represent the, this, to represent the ship sinking. Now, I, you know, I'm skipping the, any history behind this game. I assume everybody's heard of the Titanic. Uh, ship was sunk in the Atlantic Ocean when it crashed into an iceberg. Ship was, of course, supposedly unsinkable. So anyway, let me let me keep going on with the components. First, the cards. There's three types of cards. There's the deck of playing cards that you're you're trying to rescue. The, the passengers, passengers and uh, lifeboats. The cards. There are four suits. There are two first class suits numbered one through thirteen. One of the suits has anchors on them. The other doesn't. And then there's two second class, I guess, or common class, I don't know what it's called, suits. Again, one with anchors and one without. And those are numbered 1 through 17. So it's a little bit different than a regular play, deck of planet cards. You have more cards. you got 34 plus 26, so 60 cards. <clears throat> and besides the, the playing cards, you also have a deck of character cards. When you play, you take on the role of one of the crew members. I believe all the character cards actually represent real people. Crew, people that are actually crew in the Titanic and that made him voyage when it sank. The different character cards do give you different abilities in the game, so they kind of adjust the strategy and that sort of thing. And then there's action cards. These are cards you could use on your turn to, to change the game, basically to allow you to cheat, I guess, when you get to look at it in terms of a traditional solitaire. They, they let you do things like f look at all the cards in one of the one of the lines, one of the stacks, pick one out, put it in the top, and shuffle the rest and stick them back underneath. And besides that, then you have the book. It, it's pretty neat. I guess it's innovative. It's basically like a seven or eight page book. You open it up when you're playing, and on it has pictures of has a picture of the Titanic sailing in the ocean, and underneath space for the different uh, passengers. As you flip the pages, the, the each subsequent page shows the, the ship sinking farther and farther. So probably don't need to get into the mechanics a whole lot. I think other than to describe how it's different from a regular solitaire, and even then that's sort of a awkward thing to say because there is really not such a thing as regular solitaire. I think there are countless variations on that game. And I guess when I'm saying regular solitaire, I'm meaning Microsoft solitaire. So yeah, let me let me mention those differences. Let's try that. I already mentioned the fact that the uh, there's four suits and the numbers are not the same as standard de play, deck of playing cards. In Microsoft Solitaire, when you fl draw cards from the draw deck, you always draw three and you can only play the top card that's visible. So for example, if, if you draw three cards and you wanted to play the middle one, you'd first have to be able to play the top one, which would free up that middle card. And you could keep going.
In SOS Titanic, depending on what character you have, you could draw a different number of cards. Now, the way it works is different. Let's say let's say one character could draw one through four cards, up to you which, num- which number of cards you want in that range. You, you say you pick three cards, you draw three cards from the deck, you look at them, and then you could play one of them onto an appropriate stack. If you can't play one of them, then unfortunately that, that time is passing. You have to discard all of them, and you flip over to the next page in the book. Actually, I think about it, there are more than four pages, probably about ten pages. And then you flip to the next page of the book, which is a bad thing, because when you reach the end of the book, the ship has sunk and the game is over. As compensation for having to do that, you will get to draw another an action card now. And, you know, and that's nice because those are useful. And then I should also mention the game is divided, the turns are divided into segments. First, you can move any cards around using the, the normal solitaire rules. That is, if you're starting a new stack, you can only start it with a high card, either 17 from the common cl- passengers or 13 from the first class. Or you can move cards to the top, starting with the number one and then building upon it in the same colored suit. Now, I was trying to go through the differences. Let me jump back again. One of the first differences you're going to have after you've admired all the artwork and the cards, I should say they are really pretty cards. I really like the, the look of this game. The book looks nice. The cards look nice. The rule book is nice. The box is nice. It's all around very pleasing looking design. But anyway, when you set up the board, you have seven seven lines you could form, but you actually only start with cards on four of those lines. Um, representing basically that the passengers were in their cabins asleep and now need to get to the top of the ship to get out. The, <clears throat> the number of cards in each line is different. The first line starts with four, the next one with six, the next one with eight, and the next one with ten cards. And in each of those lines, only the top card is visible. The rest are face down. So going into this, this is a strange game to talk about because you probably already know if you like this or not based on whether or not you like Solitaire. No doubt you've played it. No doubt you have an opinion on it. Either you think it's a horrible game, you don't really like it, don't have anything to do with it, or you think it's just fine. You don't mind it, but you probably don't really go out looking for it. I bet you that's pretty much the typical reaction from just about most people. Um, I found this a really cool game. I, you know, I'm in the camp of, yes, Solitaire is fine, but I'll never really play it much. Um, but this one is really cool because of the theme. And I found the theme worked really, really well. I, I found as I'm playing the game, I really feel like I'm on the Titanic trying to rescue people. As you're playing, you got all these passengers, they're all crowding and they're trying to get into ships and you're having to manage who's going in and who's not getting in and that sort of thing. And I kind of have that feeling as I'm playing the game. I feel the frustration of everybody trying to get to the ships and nobody being able to. As the ship sinks and you're flipping the book, the pages, each time you, you flip the page and the sink, the new picture is different and the sink is this, and the ship is more tilted in the water, you now have one less stack. The, the stack all the way to the left disappears. And all the cards in that stack have to be picked up, and all the cards in the next stack, now the, the new lowest stack, get picked up. They all get shuffled together and played out again on that new stack and that new line. Um, so, you know, as your ship is sinking, everybody's crying in the front, and all these people that were there are now less likely to get rescued because there's just more chaos and more people in the way. And I find all that very thematic, you know. And I'm playing, I realize I'm just playing solitaire, but at the same time, that theme just carries through. 
I think part of it is because of the mechanics, and I think part of it is because of the artwork. Every single card is a picture of a character. And number one is always a lifeboat, and then number two through the highest number are people. The lower the number, the younger the person. And so what happens is you're trying to you're trying to save first uh, the children and then the ladies, which are the, more the middle numbers, and finally the men are the highest numbers. And you know that's basically what was going on on the ship. Now technically, this is actually a cooperative game. It supports one through I believe four players. I'm sorry, one through five players. I have played it as a solitaire game in which I have one character and I get to use his abilities. The character abilities tend to vary at first how many cards you draw each turn to to place on the board. Obviously, the more cards you draw, the more likely you are to be able to play somebody. However, and I forgot to mention this, when you've gone through the whole deck and drawn all the cards and you need to draw again, if the draw deck is empty, you shuffle the discard pile to create a new draw pile and flip a page on the book. So, you know, time is advancing and that's an unfortunate thing. Another difference with the characters is the number of action cards they start with, and finally, some sort of modifier that happens. Uh, one character, for example, when he draws cards, he can place any of the cards he draws. However, he doesn't get to draw that many cards. Other characters, one, for example, gets two action cards instead of one if he's not able to place any cards. Another character can play can use anybody else's character cards. However, that really applies in the multiplayer game, so he's not a solitaire character. But, you know, as you can see, they're all different. They all change the way the game plays a little bit. Um, I tried playing Solitaire with one character, and I tried playing with two. They're both fun. I I like the way playing with two characters felt better, because I found I had more choices and more variety in the way I played. I don't think the game was any easier specifically, but I do think it was a little more interesting. Unfortunately, I actually found it very confusing to keep track of because it's such a fast game and turns are so short that I would often finish my turn and get be ready to to draw cards and I wasn't sure which character I was playing. I, I'd lost track of who I was just from one turn to the next. And you know, I found that to be an issue more so with this game than with other games. I haven't tried it with more than two. It would be interesting. I do think it'd be a little bit confusing. You'll need to do something to help you keep track of that, I think. At least I will. Maybe put a pawn on my character card or something. You know, both ways definitely work. It's a fast game, you know. It's it's solitaire, right? So it's so maybe thirty minutes. Um, and pick up your cards and shuffle them. The cards are are interesting. They're a little bit hard to shuffle. They have a a weird shape. They're really long and skinny. I don't know the dimensions, but they're definitely not standard. And the art on the back of the cards is actually a reprint, I guess, of the original tickets. So it's a nice little touch there. So what can I say? I mean, it's a slight game. There's not a whole lot to say about it. I think if you like or tolerate solitaire, you'll probably find this game enjoyable in the light sense. it's It's got an interesting theme, and I feel personally the theme really shines through really well in this game. If you don't like solitaire and you know you just hate it, you may as well just stay away from this one. However, I think because it is such a familiar mechanic, it's a very easy game to introduce to just about anybody and play with. I did play cooperatively and that was interesting. It was a little weird playing cooperative solitaire. Just knowing a solitaire made it weird. But it worked totally fine. So I think that's it. I don't know that I have much else to say other than I really enjoyed this game and 
I've, I've had a lot of fun with it. I really just like the way it looks and feels. I like just about everything about it. All right. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Podcast Geek list on BoardGameGeek, or come visit the One Player Guild on BoardGameGeek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license and can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published under Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. Thanks for listening.